Cheers. Well, I hope Pastor's Taming the Tongue series has been as good of a blessing to y'all as it has been to me. And I'm thankful that he's given me the opportunity to continue it today. So as a teenager, like many teenage boys, I grew to enjoy video games. And I'll admit, I have spent way too much time and way too much money on video games. But as time has gone on, as I've gotten older, matured more, I've uh, taken on more responsibilities as an adult, I don't have as much time to play video games, and in a lot of cases I don't have the desire to as much either, but there are a few handfuls that I do occasionally enjoy playing. Anytime I do pick up a game, I often like to play with one of my coworkers. He happens to enjoy some of the same video games I do, but we happen to have very different styles that we like to play. Very often, we will end up getting into small arguments of how we should accomplish whatever task it is that is set out by the video game we are playing. This conflict, although mundane at the end of the, game, end of the day, doesn't matter at all, generally significantly increases the amount of time it takes us to finish whatever game we're playing. Or maybe sometimes we'll be playing alone and we'll send pictures to each other to show us our project. And that will lay down the exact same rabbit hole, the same discussion of how we should have went this way or how we should have went that way. This way would have been better. No, this way would have been better. Well, my coworker and I having different play styles is perfectly fine, but our differences often lead to bringing out the perfectionist in us. How many of you would say, in some areas of my life, maybe not video games, I tend to be a perfectionist? I think we all have areas of our life where we have that tendency. And usually, it is areas in our life that we have strengths, things that we tend to be good at, things we are accustomed to. Maybe it's not a video game for you, but what are a few things that tend to lead to triggering the perfectionist in you? What are some examples? Doing mascara? I don't have any experience in that, but all right. <laughs> Maybe your daily commute to work, looking at other people, and maybe you think, how in the world do they get their license? Or maybe the way your spouse loads the dishwasher. Or maybe the way your coworker does things, not video games, at their actual job. Unfortunately, we live in an imperfect world with imperfect people who live imperfect lives. So there is always a chance that something is going to be done imperfectly. Well, the problem with our perfectionist mentality about things is that so easily it can lead from that mentality about things and project itself onto other people. And this perfectionist mentality towards other people is what we will be talking about today, and that is criticism. However, a difference needs to be drawn as criticism can take two different forms. There's constructive criticism, which is correcting others because we genuinely care about them. Even a few of Paul's letters are words of constructive criticism and correction to the early day churches because he genuinely cared about them and wanted them to grow in Christ. On the other hand, criticism can take the path of destructive criticism 
what we will be focusing on. It is critical nitpicking, it is cruel, and it is uninformed thoughts that manifest in our conversations. The biggest danger of excuse me, tongue stood up, of destructive criticism is how difficult it is to see in the mirror. While we feel the pain when other people criticize us, we so often feel justified in our words when we criticize others. We think to ourselves, well, if they were doing things the right way, I wouldn't have to criticize them. If someone doesn't line up with whatever mental ideology we have, they can so easily become a target of our criticism. And when we allow ourselves to criticize others, they end up beaten down while we walk away puffed up. I want to take a look at a verse in Proverbs, as chapter 12, verse 18 says, There is that speaketh like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. This verse here in Proverbs shows us that our language towards others holds great weight and can manifest in two different ways. The first way our words can affect others is described quite well. We all know what it means when someone's words cut deep. The analogy of a sharp sword describing hateful speech is quite accurate. When someone displays hateful speech, it can leave an emotional feeling similar to the physical feeling of a cut. And the deeper the cut, whether that's by a blade or by swords, the more painful it is. But on the other hand, Wise, loving words have a healing and uplifting effect on others. And it even seems that just a few wise words of health can mend the wounds left by an onslaught of hateful words. And the two different views of speech illustrated in this view can also show us two different types of people. The first type of people described here are fault finders. As Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, he wrote these verses, and listen closely to some of the wording that he used. Galatians 5, verses 14 and 15 says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Paul starts by stating that we should live out the command to love one another but he also issues a warning. It's interesting the metaphor that Paul uses describing our bickering like feral animals trying to kill each other. Isn't it true that our negative words have a biting effect? Or even how our critical spirits tend to devour our relationships? How many of you know what it's like to have someone say something to you that bites? It, well, that's a good way of describing it. I'm sure we all know what that pain feels like. Now, here's a reality check. There's probably some people in this world that remember the biting words that you may have said to them. No wonder Paul warns that our words could cause us to be consumed by one another, just like those rabid animals. How have you seen biting words lead to relationships being consumed? What are some examples you can think of? Maybe it could lead to trust issues. It could lead to gossip, which Pastor preached on, I think it was last week. It could cause a defensive spirit from whoever else is part of this relationship. Maybe it could lead to more toxic language, to bitterness, and eventually a broken relationship that has been consumed. But thankfully, we don't have to be fault finders. There is a better way 
for us to use our language. Instead, God has called us to be hope dealers. While we cannot be certain how much criticism can hurt someone's heart, you also have no idea just how much God might use even a single word of encouragement to help somebody. Instead of using our words to tear each other down or devour, as Paul described it, we should instead use our words to build each other up or to edify each other. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that I may minister grace unto the hearers. Do you notice that last part there? Paul said words that build people up have a way of ministering grace to the hearers. We usually think about grace as being something that comes directly from Jesus. But our own words, in a way, can have that exact same strengthening and blessing effect that our Savior has. However, sometimes we find it hard to build other people up. Why do you think this might be? Why do we have such a hard time building other people up? Sorry? Nobody builds us up? That is a very powerful one, yeah? Perhaps you were raised, how you were raised has an effect on that. Maybe you grew up in a home where that kind of language simply just wasn't used. Or maybe you came from a demographic where people would try to motivate others by making them feel guilty. Or maybe the soft culture of today makes you think people just need to have thicker skin. Well, whatever the case is, there is no denying that our communication habits are heavily influenced by both our past and our environment. Or as Peace said, maybe we just don't hear those same words of encouragement that we should be giving to others. Sorry. <laughs> Wrong one. <laughs> but I want to share one of my favorite verses with you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Because of Christ, we don't have to be a product of our past or our environment. Christ has given us the power to be completely new individuals fueled by the love and compassion that Jesus gives us. So what are a few simple things you could say to be a hope dealer? What are some examples? Maybe, thank you for being such a good friend. That's a pretty easy one. Or you are so talented at blank. You are such a good spouse, uh, parent, boss, coworker. Insert your favorite noun there. Thank you for being honest with me, even when I don't want to hear it. These are just a few ideas of things that could help you learn to be hope dealers, even if it makes you feel awkward. Can I remind you that people have plenty of negative influence in their life? They have negative family members. Maybe they receive negative text messages. A lot of times, people continuously second-guess themselves with insecurities. And they are also always under the attack of Satan, the accuser of brethren. People have so many things that are constantly building them down day by day. They don't need anything else. So I want to challenge you something this week. I want you to go out of your way to be a hope dealer. Find someone and simply say something nice to them. Or if you're a leader in any capacity, 
a parent, a boss, a team leader, if you help out in the church, I especially want to encourage you to go out of your way and be a hope dealer to someone that is underneath your leadership. So all this raises the question, what then is the cure to our big fat mouth of criticism? Well, if we go back to our passage here in Galatians 5 and continue on to verse 16, it gives us the answer. It says, this I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I always find it hilarious whenever I'm teaching the kids, you know, I'll teach on whatever lesson it is we're getting ready to go over Jericho today, and I'll ask the kids, uh, who was leading the Israelites at the time of Jericho? Which the, the answer would be Joshua, but some kid will pop up, Jesus, the answer is Jesus, with all confidence. Well, as funny as it is, that's essentially what this verse is saying. The answer to our mouth of criticism simply is Jesus. The more we spend time with Jesus, the more we realize how imperfect we are. The more we know Jesus, the more we can appreciate the grace that he gives us every single day. The more we build up a relationship with Jesus, the more obvious it becomes that others need that exact same grace. And that can help us understand that we should be hope dealers and not fault finders. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for today. And Lord, again, I just uh, thank you for giving me this opportunity to dig into your word. And I just uh, hope that you would allow this message to be honoring and glorifying to you. Amen. All right, so like I said, we are really early. So let's spend some time in fellowship We'll start in about 30 minutes. <laughs>